Hi, I'm Rafa, and welcome back to So Far So Good, the socially distanced podcast. On this week's episode, we interview Rihanna Bengzon, a Partnerships and Resource Mobilization Associate at the United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network Youth, or SDSN Youth, who launched an online platform to inform Filipino youth about the facts of COVID-19. This episode was shot on May 20, 2020, and was released on May 24, 2020. The music used in this episode is licensed under Creative Commons Attributions License and features Hat the Jazz by Twin Musicom and Airport Lounge Disco Ultra Lounge by Kevin McLeod. If you'd like to check out SDSN Youth's COVID-19 dashboard, you can head over to covid19.sdsnyouthph.org. Enjoy the episode and remember to hold on to hope in the middle of these uncertain times. Um, there's kind of no point in sharing all this information if it's blocked behind a bunch of very technical terms. Like, if you really need to have a background in it to understand it, that doesn't really help the general public. I think you can really only make empowered decisions if you're informed. When we're confronted with bad news at every turn, it's easy to lose sight of the hope that keeps us going. I'm Rafa Chua, and I've made it my mission to share stories of hope in the midst of our uncertain times prove that anyone, anywhere, can do their small part today to solve even the biggest of problems. Welcome to the Socially Distanced Talk Show. Welcome to So Far, So Good. We aren't just facing a viral pandemic. At times, it's a misinformation pandemic as well. As more and more of our life migrates online, we are exposed on a daily basis to false cures, questionable quotes, and mind-boggling infographs. One organization has made it their mission to stop this. The United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network Youth, also known as SDSN Youth, which aims to empower the youth in achieving UN Sustainable Development Goals. The Philippine arm of SDSN Youth recently launched their interactive online dashboard on COVID-19, which aims to provide verified and easy-to-digest facts about the COVID-19 situation, specifically catered towards the youth. I sat down with Rihanna Bengzon, a Partnerships and Resource Mobilization Associate at SDSN Youth, to find out more about this platform. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to So Far So Good. Hope you're having a great Sunday so far. This week on the show, we have a very special guest from SDSN Youth. Please welcome Rihanna Beng Bengzon. Beng, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Rafa. Nice to see you. So, Bang, you're here to represent, you're here to rep your org. Thank you so much again for reaching out to me to be on the show. I super love the initiative. And after reading about what you guys do, this is something that a lot of people need to know about. So to start off, can you give us a quick introduction of yourself and a quick introduction of SDSN Youth, who you work for? Okay. So, hi, everybody. I'm Rihanna. Rafa knows me as Bang. My college friends know me as Bang. Um, and I currently work for the United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network Youth, Philippines, better known as SESN Youth. And um, we're basically the Philippine arm of a global initiative launched by the United Nations to involve young people in the achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals, or the SDGs. So we work with uh, young people all over the country in order to involve them in the promotion of the SDGs, teach them about what the SDGs are, how they can best contribute to sustainable development and things like that. Um, I am a very, very strong advocate of sustainability, Rafa knows this. And um, I really wanted to go into um, development and sustainability as my career. So that's kind of how I ended up here. 
Um, and I'm, I'm enjoying my work so far because I really love engaging with um, young people, fellow young people as well. Right, you know, you got to take advantage of the time to call yourself a young person while it still exists. Yeah. <laughs> but but sure. joking aside though, um, I think what you're doing is really like beautiful and important work. Um, I want to pry a bit on what specifically you do with them. Um, it says here your job title is that you're a partnerships and resource mobilization associate. What exactly does that task involve there at SDSN? So basically, I'm in charge of all of our external partnerships. Um, in development work, working with government, with academe, with the private sector, etc. It's very, very important. Um, I'm in charge of overseeing all of those linkages that we form with them, as well as um, our sort of fundraising and sponsorship um, acquisition efforts, just so we're able to keep our projects sustainable in terms of resources. Those are my main tasks, but of course, I also help out with project implementation, um, project development. We're not a very big team, so we kind of all need to do everything. So yeah, I support with that as well. I actually love what you said about how it's very important for you to reach out to other offices and other organizations, NGOs, corporations. Because I think that's a fact that some people overlook that collaboration is so important to solve this huge, this huge mess that we're in right now. A lot of people want to work on their own or a lot of people won't work with others for reasons of rivalry or something like that. Some petty stuff. So I think what's really important is coming together and it's great that you're in a position to facilitate that. So now I want to ask, you've been bringing up sustainable development for a while now as a personal advocacy and also what your organization stands for. And admittedly, it's a term that gets thrown around a lot, both in parts and as a whole. Like you hear sustainable a lot, you hear development a lot, you hear sustainable development a lot. And sometimes it's a buzzword, right? And people just say it without thinking about the meaning behind it. So I'd like to ask you, in your opinion or in your own terms, how would you explain sustainable development and what it hopes to achieve? I think you are right that um, sustainable development is a term that gets kind of thrown around a lot and it is a little bit of a buzzword. Um, people aren't quite sure what it really means to them on a personal level. But for me, I really think that sustainable development is really just a holistic approach to um, social development or to the development of the world. We want to ensure that people have access to their basic rights, um, they're able to live with dignity, they're not subject to the um, dangers of living in abject poverty or without sufficient healthcare, things like that. How we use our natural resources, if the consumption of our um, resources around the world is sustainable or if it's not, um, climate change, environmental concerns, things like that. And if we're able to distribute these resources equitably, people deserve to experience the benefits of all kinds of prosperity. So I'm not just limiting this to economic prosperity, but also social prosperity that we experience as a collective or technological prosperity with advancements that come out. So um, if you'll notice, each of the things I said sort of tackles a lot of the different um, sustainable development goals. And they really do all work together um, interdisciplinarily um, in order to ensure that that holistic approach really is achieved. Right. Thank you so much for that in-depth explanation, Ben. What I heard of as a business major was people, planet, and profit. And I love that the third mm. one is switched out from profit to prosperity because, well, without hurting me and my course mates too much, it sounds a lot less selfish. Because <laughs> I love <laughs> yeah. the implication that prosperity is something that has to be shared. Profit is usually for one organization or one person. You just drive it up and it's usually in terms of money. But like you said, the word prosperity offers a more holistic perspective that number one, it's not just money, there's social benefits, there's an emotional component also, even psychological. 
And number two, that it must be shared to be prosperity. You can't just be prosperous as one person. When we're seeing the news that the world might have its first trillionaire soon, I think it's really important that we start talking about how to distribute and make sure everyone has equitable access to these things. So, yeah. Ben, you mentioned the sustainable development goals, and I think that's a perfect segue because my next question is about that. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to go into each of the 17 SDGs. But okay. <laughs> what I wanted to ask you is that out of the 17, and definitely they're all very important, are there any particular SDGs that you personally advocate for or that you feel are especially relevant to the Philippine context? I will, I'll speak on behalf of my organization because we do have um, particular interests when it comes to these things. Sure. And um, I think in the context of the Philippines and of course um, being from a youth organization, the one that is of primary importance to us is really quality education, which is SDG number four. I know it's very cliche to say this, but I really do believe that education is really the starting point of everything. Um, in SDSN Youth, we have a framework um, that basically shows um, how you're able to conduct sustainable projects. And the first step of always that is awareness building. So you really can't move on any sort of initiative that you might want to do or any project that you want to conduct if you don't first have that awareness and that knowledge that you'd need in order to actually conduct it. So um, it all starts there. And I think if we're able to inculcate um, the right values and the right um, knowledge about sustainable development in our educational system, whether formally or informally, um, it will really go a long way towards promoting um, the SDGs in general. Because as I said, um, they are really all interrelated. And I wouldn't say that one is more important than the other. But yeah, personally, that starts the starting point of it. Yeah, now very strong starting point at that because um, your organization believes, and I am inclined to agree, that the youth are very equipped to make a change, even at a young age. There's no such thing as not being old enough to do something. On that topic, you're one of the biggest youth organizations in the country. When I was reading your organizational primer, it said you have over 150 member organization and 200,000 members on the ground. So my question is, despite being a small team, like you said earlier, how do you manage to coordinate so many people and so many groups to achieve what you want? Well, yeah, you're right. Um, we are quite a small team in our main sort of operations team. But we're very, very blessed to have a very active member base and a very well spread out member base as well. Um, we are very well represented across the country. We have teams all over the place in every region and basically in every uh, major city. So we're very, very thankful for that. And basically, we just try to work with them as closely as we can. Um, we provide the appropriate orientations or training that they might need so that they know how they can best sort of help us out with whatever project we're conducting, um, what we need help for for that particular initiative. And they are very, very receptive um, to um, our calls for help. So we're very thankful for that. So we really do just try to work with them and try to update them as well. Even if, for example, we're not conducting a specific project in their locality for this time. We do try to keep them updated with what's happening just so that they feel like they're still in the loop and they still have an idea of what's going on. So I think that goes a long way also. Okay, speaking of what's happening right now, I want to get to the meat of this interview, which is the special project that you guys are working on right now. So from what I understand, SDSN is currently working on an interactive Philippine dashboard on COVID-19 meant to promote the spread of reliable information. So can you tell me first, what need did your organization see that made you want to start this project? This actually started from just a conversation that we were having while having a meeting once. 
we realized that there really wasn't a youth-oriented source of information about the current pandemic available to a lot of people. If you'll notice, a lot of the sources are very technical. They, they come from the DOH, they come from news sources, they come from academic bodies, research institutions, things like that. And while those things are, of course, very important, and they are the most reputable sources of information, especially in this situation right now, they're not the most accessible or approachable to, like, let's say, me as a 22-year-old. I don't understand what these certain terms mean. I don't know what these graphs are supposed to represent. So we decided, why don't we make something like that? That it, it has accurate information, it's simple and easy to navigate, and everything's there. We basically started with that, and we are very, very blessed to have a, an IT professional within our leadership council in the organization. So he basically took the helm on that in terms of, like, developing the website, getting it up and running initially. Since then, we've just been in the process of updating it with the latest information. We do try to make sure that it's as current as it can be, given what information is accessible to us. And we really try to ensure that everything that we put there is really something that's digestible for the people who are going to use it. Um, there's kind of no point in sharing all this information if it's blocked behind a bunch of very technical terms, if it's heavy in terms of like if you really need to have a background in it to understand it, that doesn't really help the general public. So uh, we wanted to start from there and that's really what need we wanted to address. Because I think you can really only make empowered decisions if you're informed. So if I'm a regular young Filipino and I don't know what it means to contract COVID, I can't make the appropriate decisions that I would need in order to protect myself. And that puts a lot of more people at risk also. So even if it's not a direct cause, it's really something that can put a lot of more people in harm's way. So that's where we started from. Right. And I think that's very timely because there are a lot of people right now who are claiming that people don't follow COVID-19 regulations because they're undisciplined or because they're pasaway or something like that. But I think one root cause that isn't often being addressed is that maybe people aren't simply informed. Like for people who have stable internet access or higher education or who have access to all these different sources and have the background, it might seem so obvious what to do next. But the reality I think we have to embrace is that, especially for many of the youth, it is quite difficult to get the handle on the very complex situation that we're facing right now. I want to delve a bit deeper into that because I find it very interesting. You say that your dashboard is a youth-led and designed specifically to engage the youth. And you've talked about designing for youth over and over again and making it accessible. What unique features does your platform have that cater to the youth? Or how did you design it specifically with the youth in mind? Okay, that's a really good question. One of the things that we really prioritize is ensuring that visually the website is very clean and very appealing to um, the person who's going to use it. Um, I think you can agree with me as somebody who's uh, very creative also that um, we're, our generation in particular, we're very attuned to like design, making sure that things look good. Right. So we wanted to start from there and make sure that our dashboard was very clean. It was very simple. Um, we kind of, I know our generation, we kind of like that minimalist look. It doesn't need to be have a lot of features or complicated um, things in it. So. We focused on that and as, at the same time, we also tried to make it um, very colorful, very engaging um, when you look at it, when you first get on the website. Other than that, um, we have a lot of visual components or representations of our data. So if you go to our website, um, you'll see a lot of graphs, a lot of charts. We find, and based on our research as well, 
people are really able to absorb the information a lot better when it's presented that way versus let's say just a bunch of numbers or just a block of text without um, any representation. And aside from just the sort of design aspects of it, one thing that we really tried to beef up was our fact-checking and quality assurance measures. Because, um, again, I'm sure you'll agree with me on this. I think in particular, um, young people are very attuned to when information can be kind of sketchy or kind of questionable. It's very, very obvious too, like let's say people our age, when this, this is from a source that's not the most accurate or this isn't something that's verified by scientific research. So we wanted to make sure that the people who use our site don't have that as a doubt in their mind anymore. And they can assure themselves that, okay, this is coming from a source that's very reputable, that's backed up by evidence. Because I really think that like people are not our age are really, really able to parse those things out really well. And those are the main two. Other than that, of course, we just tried to make it um, as interactive as possible also. And yeah, if you look at our website, everything's clickable, everything's um, interactive, and you can learn a lot just by going through the different pages. So those are the main things that we considered uh, when we're talking about being a youth-oriented platform. I can see that there's a lot of thought behind that. I think this is the perfect time for me to mention how much I love the term dashboard in describing these kind of things, because I really only started hearing the term dashboard after different organizations were releasing these online after the quarantine. Because if you look at the metaphor, right, a dashboard, when the first thing that comes to mind when you hear dashboard is a car or a vehicle. And the purpose of yeah. a dashboard is to present yeah. information in a way that allows you to make very quick decisions. When you're looking at the speedometer in your car, you know how fast you're going and you can immediately make a decision whether to speed up or to slow down from there or how fast you have to turn or if you need maintenance, etc., etc. So I see it as very much trying to fulfill the same function that it presents information in a way that's very clean and very easy to act upon immediately. Definitely something that's very key. So I guess going more into the execution side or the background of it, I want to ask, what major challenges did your team face and have to overcome in terms of developing this this kind of initiative? I guess the first um, major challenge that we kind of came across was really just gathering all the data. Um, working with a lot of hard raw data can be very very tricky because you have to make sure that you're able to present it properly and there's a lot of different ways that that can go wrong um we have access to um data from the boh of course and from the commission on population and development or popcom uh they help us out because we work with them also for other things and just receiving that information and trying to turn it into something that is easy to understand as i've been saying was very, very difficult at first. Um, of course, just getting this off the ground. And then I think other than that, just making sure that everything is updated and factual as much as we can is still an ongoing challenge, of course, because there's um, new information and new news that's coming out every day. As I mentioned, we do take our sort of quality assurance measures very, very seriously. We have a whole like protocol for that. and. I think we've been able to ensure that there's no inaccurate information, there's no fake news. I kind of don't like that term, but um, it's the most the one that people are most common with. We do our best really to make sure that um, no, nothing like that ends up on the site. We have several levels of quality checking just to make sure multiple times so that, okay, is there anything that's not verified here? Is there anything that is a bit questionable in terms of its sources? And if there is, we take it out right away. And of course, that task gets very difficult 
the more information that you're spewing out because you know you're more likely to miss one thing or miss another thing. We're very lucky to have a very dedicated and a very hardworking set of volunteers who really help us out with this. I don't think we'd be able to do it do it if it was just us. They really do help us out with that, and they make the load a lot easier because there's a lot more eyes looking for these different um, things that we might miss. I think that's so crucial now. Um, you mentioned you don't like the term fake news. I don't either. It sounds kind of flimsy, but it is a reality that we're living with that there is a lot of misinformation out there. So the fact that you've put together a dedicated team to chip away at all this huge cloud of data and facts of different of different veracity and try to make it into something that people can digest without throwing it up. I think that's fantastic. I do want to ask, without going too much into the process, because I know there might be some confidential elements of it or maybe just very technical, how exactly does a fact check work for you guys? How does that verification process work? Okay, I'm actually glad you asked that because that's something that we're very proud of in the way that we've designed the project. So, um, among our volunteers, uh, at the moment we have around 30 and we've divided them into three different um, groups of, or sort of committees, if you want to think about it that way. The first are our um, data gatherers, who, as the name implies, uh, gather the data. They're the ones who really look through all of the information, the numbers, consolidate it, collate it into whatever it needs to be, um, make sure that it's all compiled and all complete um, before passing it on to the next level, which is the data churners. So these people are the ones who really cross-check everything. They ensure that any information in, let's say, an article that we want to post, it's backed up by other other reputable news sources also, or it's backed up by other research. So they do a lot of cross-checking between different um, sources of information just to make sure that, okay, th- whatever we're saying in this thing is verified or whatever we're posting here is verified. They also make sure that any information that we present in terms of numbers is accurate. So they'll double check um, on the other sources or the original sources where we got it. Because there are times that, for example, if we're like sort of just copy-pasting data from one sheet to another, it could obviously get mixed up or um, there could be flaws in the way that the sheet kind of shows it up. So they're the ones who make sure of that. After the data churner sorts of go through all of that process, they pass it on to our data presenters who are our sort of graphic design team and our visual team. So they're the ones who make all of our materials, our social media, the different graphics that you'll see on the site, they're the ones who make it. As well as our sort of journalism team, if you want to put it that way. They write up our original articles. Um, if, they, if we have a particular topic that we want to address, they're the ones who write it out based on the information that um, they receive from the data gatherers and the data journeys. And the data presenters also have the capability to sort of veto any information that they find that's not um, correct or accurate. So if, let's say, I'm a data trader and I pass it on to you as a data presenter, if you um, find that the information that I gave you isn't accurate, you have every right to tell me, like, hey, can you double check this? It, it doesn't seem correct. Um, and then finally, when the data presenters are done with all of that, turning it into the materials that we have, they pass it on to us as the operations team. So we're kind of the last line of approval in that. And we really make sure to double check everything before it gets on the website. So there's already four levels of cross-checking in that whole procedure. And at any point in that process, somebody can always say like, okay, this isn't correct. There's no sort of precedence or anything that what one says is more important than the other. If anybody notices something that's off or that's inaccurate or not, or maybe not even inaccurate but not verified or in conflict with something else, 
then they have the capability to say just so we can double check it before it gets on the site because what we don't want also is that something just gets posted on the site nobody gets to check it and then yun pala it's wrong or it's not something that um, is really backed up by evidence or other information so that's kind of why we designed the process that way and um, it's been working so far we have uh, ways to measure our accuracy in terms of the information that we're posting of course we oriented our volunteers about this and initially we did have to get used to the whole process of passing one thing to another but right now it's going pretty well that's fantastic to hear and you know it's really important that you guys are bringing the rigor to the process that a lot of people simply don't have the patience for I think that as a, true, even myself, true. as a casual consumer of news on my Facebook or social media feeds, I usually open it up and I will think about whether it's real, but I won't usually have the diligence to check it four times over and to pass it to other people first. So it's so yeah. wonderful to know that there's an organization out there doing that hard work to make sure that people can get verifiable information. So now I want to go, I guess, to a more forward-looking approach. Is there anything that's next for your project in terms of new features, new developments, or expansions that you guys might be looking into that people who want to use your platform can look forward to in the future? In terms of that, in terms of uh, future developments for the project, we're very, very blessed to be working with a really generous and supportive set of partners. Um, we are working with Ayala Corporation. They're one of the companies supporting us in the development of this um, initiative, this dashboard. And we're also closely working with Knowledge Channel Foundation. They're providing more educational materials with regards to things like personal hygiene, health, education. Um, because of course, as one of the leading educational media companies in the country, they're most equipped to do that. So we're very, very excited to be working with them also. And I think um, another exciting thing that um, people can look forward to on our platform is our collaboration with IBM Philippines. They're going to be helping us design a COVID-19 vulnerability map. So just to give a brief overview of what a vulnerability map is, it's a map, obviously, where you can chart the different places around the Philippines wherein you might be most vulnerable to contract COVID versus other areas where you might not be. And the factors or the criteria that go into this are things like number of senior citizens in a household, um, amount of square meters per person, um, given how many people there are in the household, things like that. And we have data on this down to the barangay level for areas that are currently in enhanced community quarantine. And we have city level data for the other localities that we're going to be tracking. So we're working with IBM very closely on that to turn it into something that's interactive. For example, if you'd want to know, like, oh, in my barangay, what's my vulnerability for contracting COVID. You could click through it and then it will show you all the figures. We really want people to have access to this just so that they can better know what their situation is given their um, surroundings. But at the same time, also be aware of the, the situations possibly in other cities or even in other provinces or regions. Um, it just gives people a more holistic view of what's happening throughout the country. And this is going to be updated on a more or less daily basis given what uh, research or data we're able to gather. We're also working with IBM to launch a 
an artificial intelligence chatbot on our website. So how that's gonna work is we're gonna have a series or a set of FAQs um, about COVID, about what to do if you think you have COVID, um, things like that. And then you can just tap, type it into that chatbot and it'll spew out an answer for you. Of course, this is all going to be coded, it's going to be automated, but we're going to make sure that we provide the bot as many questions as we can come up with. And we're also going to be gathering feedback from our users with regards to what questions they might want to add. And we really wanted to add this feature because we know certain people don't have the time or the internet bandwidth to look through all of our different pages and actually parse through things very thoroughly. So we wanted to give them an avenue to make sure that they can still get something out of the website even if they have to just click in and click out. So that's going to be going up um, very, very soon. We're working closely with them on that so that we can deploy it ASAP. And we're just very excited about keeping the site updated and running um, for as long as we need to. Okay, so now I'm down to my last questions, actually. Um, thank you so much for sharing so much about the platform, so much about this unique initiative that you guys have started. Now I want to give my listeners a point of action if they want to get involved in this kind of thing. So first, I want to ask you, do you have any tips, especially for the youth? How do you think people can be more responsible consumers of information? I think for me, number one thing I would um, suggest is really to double check everything that you read if you have the time and if you have the resources available to you um what i mean by that is i really don't think that if you for example you see something on twitter or even like a headline on facebook or something that you just read it once and then you take it as fact um as i mentioned we do take our quality assurance process very seriously and we would sort of apply that to the situation also but of course on a personal level so what that would mean is double checking other sources to see if other outlets also have this similar information or um, actually reading through that article to see what it's really trying to say um, just because I think nowadays people are so amenable to just like oh did you hear blah 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 I read this somewhere without really looking into whether or not it's true other than that one time that they saw it other than that I would also just encourage people to really read as much as you can um, I know that the current situation right now isn't the most exciting and you know it can get kind of sad after a while hearing all of this bad news about COVID-19. But at the same time, um, being well informed and having a sort of general awareness of what's going on will also help you tease out what information you read might not be factual or might not be correct. I completely agree. You know, when you were talking about like reading the current news, I, I remember this word that I learned yesterday. I was searching online uh, for interesting words and I found one. There's a new term that was coined. It's called doom scrolling. It's when you're in your feed and you see bad news, but you just keep reading it anyway. Like you just keep looking for more bad news. Yeah. <laughs> it's so sad that that's so reflective of our current situation. But as painful as it is, we do have a responsibility to read and verify it as much as like it'll kind of ruin your day. But it's important to be in the know because in the long term, that's what's going to help keep us safe together. That's kind of a sad note to end yeah, on. Yeah, definitely. But <laughs> with yeah. that though, um, thank you so much, Ben. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, sorry, Rihanna now. You know, we have to use the professional terms. So yes. Thank you, Rihanna. It's okay. For, you can from, still call me Ben. <laughs> yeah, but to our audience and to your coworkers at SDS, SDSN, that's Rihanna to you. Um, but yes, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It was great learning about your platform. Um, before we leave, I want to ask, do you have any shout-outs? Do you have any advice? I, do you have any channels for anyone who wants to reach out and support what you guys are doing right now? Okay, so yeah, at the moment, we're currently accepting donations for the platform. 
Um, we are accepting them through GCash, DBI, and China Bank. Um, I'll give the link to Rafa so that he can include it in the description of this video. But it's yep. also available on our website if you just click through um, the different pages. And basically, what uh, we need support for are, of course, maintenance of the website and our different um, resource um, research efforts. Um, supporting our volunteers because we do offer them a small stipend or small allowance for helping us out. And um, any future COVID-19 efforts that we're going to be working on will also be supported by the donations that we get from this platform. So we're in the process of developing some new projects also for COVID um, for more direct response um, types of things. And we're going to be working on those very soon. So having the resources available for that will really help us out. Other than that, of course, please feel free to visit the site. Um, if ever you need to, uh, you feel like you need to learn more about the current pandemic or what you can do to stay safe during these really strange times, feel free. It's totally free to use. There's no um, patch. You can just click through everything. And it really does help us spread the word when people are able to spread the word for us also. Thank you so much for that, Beng. It's been a very insightful interview. I loved hearing about how to design for the youth, how to consume information responsibly, and ultimately, how it's our responsibility to consume it in a good way because good, correct information makes us empowered. And being empowered allows you to be responsible and to make decisions for safety and for security of those around you and for the betterment of the country. So Rihanna Bengzon from SDSN, thank you so much for joining us. And to our audience, thank you again for tuning in. Once again, I'm Rafa Chua and this is So Far, So Good. <laughs>